I started running a few years ago, not very fast. I think I saw old age coming on me, and I took to running the streets of Dublin. And that is when I saw them. Marks at the lower end of the walls, stencils of bees with the text, Be My Honey. Beautiful paintings on gable ends of buildings, expanding in front of me. That is how I thought I should start this story. But then I realised, street art has always been here. Maybe I was just too much in a rush to look around me. I might have spotted street art in the corner of my eye, but I never took the time to look at it properly. And when I did, it is amazing what I found out. Yeah, I, I think I honestly think that if you go to a, a city and if you take one hour out, not to look at the landmarks, but to look at the marks on the wall, you will get a sense of the cultural temperature of the city it just it enriches the city that's what it does this is will saint ledger artist and activist he's going to take us on a walking tour of the street art in dublin you will hear about its history the conversation it sparks the outrages expressed and the moments of beauty that it brings to the city this walk could equally be done in cities like waterford or belfast but for now i'll walk in dublin and in Off the Streets, we'll hear from some of the artists who are working in Ireland today. But before I take that walk, am I considering graffiti as part of street art? The blurred lines between graffiti and street art, and indeed whether street art is considered art, is a conversation that has been going on for decades. You can argue that street art is now an established part of the art world. The fact that Banksy's work sells for millions in Sotheby's art auction confirms its place. But I don't think a price tag does that. I think it's the creative expression that makes it art. The distinction between graffiti, which is traditionally more text-based, and street art, which is more illustrative, is blurred. I will define it a little bit, though. The street art that I am looking at intends only to glorify and respect the environment it works in, not to vandalise it. The people I am talking to, who recognise themselves as artists, use their art to express their anger, ideas and loves. And this can result in a powerful form of protest, communication and beauty on our streets. So this is what I do know. The artists I meet do not fit into any neat category. They are not what you expect. There's no neat summary, and that is exciting. In Dublin, there is amazing works to be seen all over the city. And the thing about street art is, it is transient. The pieces we talk about on this walk might be gone tomorrow. New ones will have appeared, or new grey walls. And there lies one of the controversies. I will tell you about that briefly before we start the walk. Street art falls under the Planning and Development Act of 2000 and hence needs planning permission. So for the last few years, some large-scale street art pieces have been painted over by Dublin City Council because they do not have planning permission. Dublin City Council's City Arts Officer, Ray Yates. We knew there was a, a growing you know, disease around how the city were dealing with street artists and you know, particular groups were having difficulties with the, with the planning requirements. One of the things about street art is that it's an edgy art form. It's always going to be trying to push out at the edges, 
try and find spaces, express itself, and in some degree, in a good way, challenge authority. So it's difficult for, for an authority to negotiate with, with something that wants to challenge the authority, even though, in a, in a strange way, we, we want to encourage it as well. No authority is absolutely right all the time. Every official has, city official like me, has two roles. They have a developmental role where they're encouraging street art and they have a statutory role where they're saying you can't paint there. And that's the contradiction that you have to live with. The controversy came to a head in 2017 with a mural in Smithfield of the rapper Stormzy painted by Subset. Subset are an artist collective. They don't use their individual names on their work or in interviews. It was, it was only a public trigger point. We had been given many letters to take down a lot of work before that, but that was the most publicly known uh, piece that, was ta- that we were told to take down. Subset's response was to paint the mural out with grey paint. And in the corner, they painted an image of a Dublin City Council worker with a paint roller in his hand. A creative campaign followed called Grey Area, which included a mural in Andrews Lane of a portrait of Donald Trump wearing a basketball hat with the words Make Dublin Grey Again. So from that, uh, yeah, essentially we then wanted to show the city uh, and everyone that if there was no laws, that how beneficial it would be if there was art uh, all around the city. And I think that's where we've gotten today, having painted nearly 160 pieces, uh, collaborated with 40 artists and two exhibitions uh, like 1,300 uh, attendees of them exhibitions and then in parallel to that raising 25,000 for ICHH inner city helping homelessness um, we felt that we were giving out about walls when a lot of people don't have places to live so we didn't think it was appropriate to proceed giving out about something when we have a homeless crisis so that's why we wanted to direct some funds while making this uh, publicly known. Uh, so at this point um, the council are... Uh, they've progressed a lot, but it's still legally on paper a difficult thing to do. Um, I suppose it just comes down to having a conversation with them. And I would say to any artist to have a conversation with them directly and talk about how they can thus paint their wall. Trust. It's all about building trust. Siobhan Marr, Public Realm for Dublin City Council. So while Subset did bring the whole issue to public consciousness, um, we had quite a good working relationship with some street artists in the city prior to that. We had our street art forum um, in November of last year. Uh, we had a really good turnout. Um, a lot of issues were aired. We've developed a working group out of that. So it's made up of a number of street artists, the Arts Office of Dublin City Council and the Planning Department of Dublin City Council. And we've worked quite well together. What we really need to look at is how street art can progress. It's, part of, it's a hugely important part of our city's cultural life. So um, th- I think that the next phase is more, much more of a recognition of it as an art form. So as the artists and the authorities work out their plan, we will walk the streets and enjoy the revolving gallery that the streets have to offer. Though transient by nature, there is still a history to the street art that exists in Dublin. One milestone in that history is James Early's piece, which we will walk to in a minute. Another important chapter was the Dublin Contemporary 2011 International Art Exhibition, which included a curated series of street art pieces in and around Temple Bar. So we're we're outside the Button Factory on Curve Street in Temple Bar, and um, one of the first pieces to go up in that project was uh, this large mural of, um, of by, by Mazur, and it's of B.P. Fallon. Um, 
BP Fallon is definitely a fabric of Dublin and Ireland in terms of music and what he's done culturally. This is artist Al Mazer. So I thought it was appropriate to do a homage to him because um, that building was originally the Tempire Music Centre. The reason that this piece here of BP Fallon on the, music, on the Button Factory, uh, the Connor Harrington piece that we're going to look at later on, the, the piece that James Early did, why they are so important is because what, had, what really had happened was that for, for the first time really ever, large pieces of work were going up right in the centre of the city. I mean, really well thought out, really well curated, large-scale work. So, yeah, maybe because it's right in the city centre as well. The environment has a lot to play with a piece as well, you know. With like, it's scale, you put that out there and somewhere else on the motorway, it's nothing. So it's, its placement is important. It's, it's laid a foundation, I think, for the way that we perceive large-scale street art after that. So it set a, it set a, a template, it set a, it set a challenge. And was that challenge met? For sure, because then as soon as these large pieces of work went up, people started to, businesses and, and, and uh, properties and that, started to see the value of large, having a large-scale piece of work on their building because they, didn't, it, they weren't advertising anything. The work becomes a cultural landmark. Images of these cultural landmarks shared through social media bring national and international attention. Artist Emmeline Blake, also known as ESTR. And I suppose as well with the um, how huge social media has gone over the last few years, street art is more seen through social media than it is in person. So it could potentially go worldwide. I painted a piece for Warner Music recently of Lizzo and she actually shared it on her Twitter and there was loads of articles written about it but there was also international media outlets that wrote about it. One of the first examples of street art creating these cultural landmarks was in Temple Bar. So we're outside Bloom's Hotel in Temple Bar and we're looking at the probably the most iconic piece of street art in Dublin, in Temple Bar. It's a four-storey building and it is covered almost 360 degrees in the work of James Early. The piece took one year and was completed in 2014. It illustrates the story of James Joyce's novel, Ulysses. And then on the whole side of, the, of this hotel as well, there's a colour shift from daytime blue as into evening colours as you go from east to west. So as the day progresses along in the book, so does it progress along in the hotel as well. It's beautiful, I and mean, you can always tell James Early's work by a lot of the flow. You can see uh, James's influence and uh, his early work with graffiti entering into it, bold lines with lots of pa- panels of, of bright colour. And as well, you can see his influences there of uh, influences from his grandfather, who's a stained stained glass artist as well. Um, As far as I know, it's the largest painted uh, artwork in Ireland. This is James Early. Yeah, and that was, um, that's actually, it's funny, the way it's nestled in to uh, Temple Bar, where it's set, in between so many different buildings, you can actually miss it if you're walking through Temple Bar, so, but 
Once you notice it, you don't. <laughs> Obviously, it's very hard not to. <laughs> that is the pure magic. They are like buried pieces of treasure. This colour coming in between the walls is just lovely to find this gift when you are just walking to the street. This is Mexican artist Katrina Rupit, also known as Kin Mix. She is based in Dublin. Her work is elaborate, textured and decorative. It can be political in nature, but they are also just moments of beauty in the city. So in my pieces now, I think that I want to just give a break. So sometimes they might not say nothing very serious or important. It's just like peace. <laughs> it's just like I, I want to just give a break, share a little bit of culture in a nice way. Just a break where you don't need to think about all the bad news in the world. You just like look and look to the colours and feel like a little bit of relief. <laughs> that is the thing. If you look up and around you, there are loads of those little moments. Be it paintings, stencils or even sculptures. Back on the street, if you look on the walls around the city, you'll see one of Will's favourite, small sculptures, plaster moulds of a single breast. By an artist called Intra LaRue. She just puts these single uh, hand-painted breasts on, on the walls around Dublin. She's a young Parisian artist who has put about 3,500 of these around Paris, all around Europe, in different cities, and she's very, very prolific in Dublin. I don't know the reason why, um, I've talked to her once or twice on, on Facebook Messenger. She's a very quiet, um, unassuming artist. I, I think that little interventions like those, those little installations, are in a sense a kind of an Easter egg for the observant. Yeah, it's just interrupting, the, interrupting that person's flow. You're going through town every day and then you've just gone, boop, and just change it. There lies its power, its ability to interrupt our everyday. Will has been working in art and activism for decades in areas of HIV activism, global conflict, social, political and environmental issues. He worked in London with Greenpeace on campaigns such as Save or Delete, a campaign that started in 2002 to highlight the problem of global deforestation. The campaign used club culture, working with clubs such as Ministry of Sound, and also worked with the artist Banksy. Um, so then I became more interested in street art as a sort of an effective tool at communicating ideas to people. It has a political stance, a, um, a history or a lineage with political and social issues. Will moved back to Ireland in 2004 and started to work on his own ideas. One of his early street art pieces was in 2007, highlighting the issue of landmines. Every 20 minutes somebody around the world is maimed or killed by a landmine. And I wanted to kind of raise awareness about it. So I, the 4th of April every year is Lama, International Lama Awareness Day. So I picked the 1st of April, being that it's Fool's Day, to go out and start planting um, landmines around Dublin. I sprayed the words landmine on them with a skull and crossbones. Of course, landmines don't have the words landmines printed on them with skull and crossbones, which they did because people wouldn't step on them as often. And then there was a sticker on the, on the back of the plate, which... They were all numbered, signed and numbered, uh, but give you information about landmines and links to the International Landmine Campaign. Um, so we went out on the 1st of April and started planting those around in parks around Dublin. <laughs> I know, it was amazing. Um, I love that kind of jerk you out of the everyday. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that was the thing that really stood out to me. I mean, and I found that... Um, 
you know, putting an unexploded missile in the street, which I did for Goal um, two years ago. A really realistic unexploded missile slammed into the street with broken tiles and blood everywhere is way more effective at getting people to stop and go, what the fuck is that? And then talk to somebody and saying, what's going on here? And it's like, well, this is the reality for people every day in Syria. And bringing home a message can literally mean bringing home the horror and the shock and the reality of it. So um, I kind of call it like a cultural obstacle that you have to face and move around in order to go to where you were. And that will create those conversations. I love the idea of a cultural obstacle. Street art can also be an invitation to engage in a conversation or indeed an invitation to use our cities better. Subset's recent piece is in a park in Dublin. Uh, we're in Bushy Park in Terranier and we're doing an anamorphic mural called Please Stand By. The artwork is an anamorphic uh, piece, so just like the old TV sets, how it would like kind of they get that and they would like the color and the static and the black and white color bars would come up. It's essentially is that uh, you're waiting for something to happen, which references the fact that this bandstand hasn't been used in a very long time, um, used for what it should be, which is a great little bandstand. And it sounds great in there as well. So maybe at some point, hopefully, this artwork would then encourage more events to happen. The street art around Dublin is not all large-scale. Some pieces are subtle and gentle and just as powerful. So we're going into Crampton Court now, which is a little laneway that joins East Essex Street with Dame Street. And so 2015, 22nd of July, I remember passing this laneway and looking up and seeing somebody working on this wall. And out of curiosity, I came up and started talking to Anna and I said, what's this? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, we're doing this installation on this wolf. The installation um, is by artist Anna Dorn, part of Love the Lanes, a joint initiative between Dublin City Council and the Temple Bar Company. Temple Bar has been home for street art for decades. It has been encouraged and supported. And in return, the artwork has regenerated areas. One of the arguments for supporting our artists more is their role in regeneration of areas and communities. And you can really see that in the lanes of Temple Bar. Martin Hart, CEO of Temple Bar Company. Then Anna Doran came in with the with the tiles projects, which was just great and it was quirky. And Anna cleaned up that space. So we put in some lighting um, with the council and, and with Falch Ireland. And suddenly, what was an area where you really was pretty depressed. I mean, in 2000 and I'm thinking 2014, 2015, I remember being in, in Crampton Court just before the, the surface and the lighting and the artwork went up, and it was it was really depressing. It was it was there were block drains, it was broken tarmac, there were bins, there were people injecting drugs. It was just awful. This was fifty meters, sixty meters from Dublin Castle. So it, it was great to see all of that transform from what was something that was really nasty um, and, and and cruel to something that attracts and still attracts lots of visitors. And it's a series of tiles that have quotes from songs and from poems and general sort of expressions as well, especially a lot of Dublin expressions. Here's the thing. I think that this is a really good example of when street art as dialogue. When 
Anna did this project before she put them up she did a call out on social media and said if there's something that you want me to write on one of these tiles as a permanent thing I will do it for you and to the people who responded to it is the words Shane loves Maeve but in equally you have Paul loves Barry on this as well and here is the thing if you have want to get a sense of what's going on in, a, in, in the country and the way things are changing I would have never imagined that the expressions of same-sex or opposite-sex um, relationships could, could have equal prominence on a wall like this I wouldn't have believed it and now we have you know, post-marriage referendum you have the very real evidence of same-sex relationships expressed through street art on a wall and so when you see that you see a progressive and inclusive society being reflected through street art Street art as a platform to raise awareness was really obvious during the two referendums marriage equality which changed the constitution to allow for marriage equality for same-sex couples and repeal the 8th which sought to remove the constitutional ban on abortion for the marriage equality referendum, we'll organise walls of equality to campaign for a yes vote. Artists invited included Jess Tobin, street art name novice. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, and I was really delighted because this particular res- referendum really resonated with me because it was actually something that I thought, I have rights, other people need to have these exact same rights it's just completely wrong that I can that I can get married and my friends my f- people in my family they can't do the same thing so it properly struck a chord in them and Will asked me I was just like yes brilliant I can do this I can be part of this and kind of show my support and be part of hopefully making a difference the interesting thing that happened was I did my piece it was really simple so it was just two girls one facing forward one kissing the other girl's cheek and then just like kind of a swoosh of ribbon with the vote yes to equality written on it and I wasn't overly happy with the original piece and then it got tagged like vote no tagging so I got to do it again and it was brilliant because I got to fix the faces that I wasn't happy with and then raise because it was obviously done on street level and so I raised it up over street level so that they couldn't just tag it just walking by you'd have to actually get a ladder to to tag it so that was kind of cool that was really cool and actually it got way more attention because it had been tagged and I was fixing it then it got in the first place so that was cool yeah I like that and then after the referendum um yeah I think I was just so overwhelmed with how much of a majority we got and how I was just so happy with the outcome. Before that, I had I had done some free art drop-offs where I'd paint some small paintings and leave them around for people to find. But on a smaller extent, I. But for this one, yeah, I decided to do twenty-two pieces and I left them all around um, Dublin city centre for people to find. Gifts of her artworks to say thank you. Emmeline continues to use her work to raise awareness. In two thousand and eighteen, in response to a rape trial. Emmeline painted a series of underpants on the side of the now-gone Bernard Shaw with the words, not asking for it. Um, that was after the, the trial in Cork where they brought into question the victim's underwear. That actually went to more countries, as in um, media outlet-wise, than any of my pieces. 
and I suppose it's because it's a it's a universal issue with facing a epidemic of, of rape culture and, and something needs to give, something needs to change. Uh, worldwide people could relate to w- relate to that piece. Yeah. The global audience that street art now attracts is relatively new. But there's nothing new in expressing ourselves through painting on walls. We've been doing that since the dawn of civilization, in response to the fundamental need to use art to comprehend, document and respond to our surroundings. Again, I don't see this as a particularly new thing. I mean, if you go back, I was, you know, recently out in Nouth and Douth and you're looking at the old stones with, you know, the Celtic carvings. I mean, there were people were were writing on, on stones before they could paint and spray. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the people did it in caves 2,000 years ago. This isn't new. We had, that, like, you're right, we have always painted on walls, um, even before the graffiti revolution, I suppose, in... New York, there was always not graffiti or street art, but there was things painted on walls, whether it was um, slogans. We've always had that. We can appreciate that there's, there's a long history in it in making your mark on a wall. I went to art college in Belfast in the late 1980s. I know what that mark can look like. It can also look like murals of the IRA and UDA on a gable end of a wall. Like that's funny you said that because when I'm talking, I'm not considering that culture. Like they, they're I guess they're totally street art. They're, they're they're ticking all the same boxes. You know, you want to communicate a message, you believe in something, and you want to share it, and no better way than a big massive gable end in the city centre. I'm going to leave those particular political marks in my past for now. Sidestep to more contemporary pieces on gable ends. In 2009, Mazer's collaboration with musician Damien Dempsey included a large-scale graphic painting down the side of a soon-to-be-demolished tower block in Ballymun, a symbol of failed urban development. The text read, Jungle, Mother, Farewell to Your Stairwell Forever. Oh, with Damo, that was good times, that was 2009. We were just doing our own thing, like we were just started, I met Damo and I said, here, your words to me are have so much weight and have helped me in my life and I'd like to in some way use my discipline to share your message a little bit more now I didn't explain it that well at the time <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was like I just want to get your words in my mind because I'm a huge fan <laughs> but um, so that was it we just started with that and it developed on then to find the finale was the Bally Moon and then we had all this content where like what are we going to do with it and we decided to have an exhibition and uh, show all the work in an exhibition setting and it was amazing we did prints and we gave all the money away to the Simon community and it was just it was just an amazing time but your piece was done outside of all of that yeah. kind of almost cultural framework that is the arts and a lot of the street art is it's, it, you, it's there's that, that feeling of we just get on and do it. Yeah, just you have it. to have that DIY attitude constantly and just get on and do it. And I'm sure now, for the Institute of Project Now, Institutes or whatever, would be like, oh, let us get involved in that. Um, so there was lovely freedom to that. There was obviously a lot of pressures and struggles financially. You're like, you know, there's limitations. But when you're quite limited as well, you'd be even more creative in your process. And we were just really... I still am really driven, but I was really driven. I was really hungry and I really was passionate about it. And I loved Damo and I loved Dublin and it all just came out, you know. And um, so I came out there in the, in the project and yeah, it was organically done. And I'm, yeah, I'm super proud of that still. It's gone on 10 years now. 
The creative urge, the burning need to express yourself, was apparent in the artists I met from a very early age. And it was graffiti that they turned to first. So yeah, I started graffiti at maybe 14, 15. And that just consisted of writing my name. Coming up in an alias and tagging and writing around different places. Learned a little bit more about that subculture uh, from meeting different people and picking up magazines and developed on then to just becoming an obsession. Uh, a really healthy obsession. Um, but like, it gave me purpose and reason to do stuff and explore the city and uh, it tickled, uh, scratch that itch, I mean, that I had, the creative itch. Um, so I didn't know that I had this need to be creative like when I was 15 or something art or whatever was just a hobby it wasn't uh, what I see respected as it is now like as an art form I just thought like oh that's just like a silly thing you know and so it's just this little thing that I did <laughs> and uh, it, it fitted in quite well you know someone who liked to be out in the evenings and hanging out with his mates and stuff like that so I found like minded people and I didn't fit within that re- that box of uh, playing football and being that, like I was sort of an outsider a little bit to that. So then this introduced me to a new community. So it really did a lot for me, graffiti. And it was like the whole little subculture, like we're using words like street art and stuff. That, that wasn't, word wasn't around when we started, you know. It was graffiti. And there is two different, there's two different worlds and I'll explain them a bit better now in a minute. Um, graffiti is coming from writing a name. Abstract, what I would what I would call like abstract typography, skewing letter forms and manipulating them, and that's how you express yourself. And it develops onto bigger productions and murals and different stuff. And then street art is coming from a bit more like originally probably like a political place where you're you're communicating a message, and um, so you're uh, stencil art and stuff like that. But they've all sort of merged into one now, and people of different disciplines are are coming into working in the public space a lot more. Returning to the streets, you can see that merging of street art and fine art. So we're here in, uh, again, Temple Bar, one of the side lanes of Temple Bar. And we're looking at the side of Bad Bob's, just off West Essex Street. And it's a, a piece that we're looking at on the wall is by an artist called Connor Harrington. And to give you a like, description of it, it is a cow that has a rope wrapped around it and there's a cowboy on the ground with a big sort of Stetson hat he's face down on the ground and this cow is kicking its legs in the air but it differs from a lot of street art that you see around uh, Dublin it doesn't use any of the form of graffiti in it but still uses some of the elements of graffiti or some of the the equipment from graffiti. He uses rollers, uh, uses paintbrushes, he uses spray cans to build up lots of texture. This is a painting. It looks like a, a very a very highly textured painting. Getting these fine art, if you like, unquote, fine art, ending up in large-scale pieces on the walls of city, and then you're getting the, the graffiti going into galleries and things like that. But it's only really in the last, particularly in the last 10, 20 years that you've seen the sort of shift between street art uh, placement and fine art placement, almost trading, huh? trading places with each other. Absolutely. And there are very much artists in their own right, you know, and they can work in, in multimedia. So, 
uh, there's there's no issue at all from from my point of view with any of that. It's just sometimes the heat is more important than the artwork, and I'd prefer the artwork rather than the heat. But sometimes the heat is part of this artwork. So how do you, you know, it's a complex area. One of my favourite examples of the heat being part of the art is Maser's Repeal the Eight mural painted on the Project Art Centre in 2018 which after much controversy was painted over as it was in violation of the planning regulations. That was one piece that I where people really took ownership of it and were really connected with it, uh, were loyal to it. And that loyalty showed when it got painted over, people then protesting. People were like, are you not upset? I'm like, no, like I've, I know how this rolls out. This is, this is good. The painting over that piece raised its profile even more to the benefit of the campaign. After receiving the removal notification, the project artistic director, Keen O'Brien, released a statement that included the line, You can paint over a mural, but you can't paint over an issue. Keen then painted over the piece, leaving just a small corner visible. The nugget, I got it, the little nugget. It's like, it was dramatic, you know, and he, 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 he did it, he nailed it. And he did it, and he put the roller in, he walked inside. And, and I was just like, where's he gone? <laughs> you know, and I think everyone's like that. So it was really interesting. And then he left that bit because we weren't allowed to have the overall shape, the form of it. But he left that little piece, and that's, yeah, the little gold nugget that still sits there. Which says it all, really. Yeah, yeah. It's a piece in itself, then. It really is. And uh, I did a triptych painting of it there to show its story. It was hung in the RHA. But even that separate transition between you saying, right, I did a piece of mural, you painted it over, and now I'm in the RHA. Like, that transition from street art to fine art. Yeah, isn't it? I think, uh, I think the, a lot of the institutions of that are, are realising, took, took us a while now, but finally realising that yeah, this is a credible art form, and they are looking at us to come inside now as well. And that's great. Um, and that's what it is. And But we still are true to ourselves, and we... we, we I was painting yesterday evening outside down the lane. I had a long enough day yesterday, and then I was like, I was asking my mate, would he go to the cinema with me? And uh, he was like, I'm going to go painting. And I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll go with you. I'll go painting. And so I just grabbed a bit of paint there and went around and just had the buzz. I just chilled with them and painted for an hour and then went home and had my dindons. <laughs> that was it. That gives me most joy. I still then get excited about the journey of where it's going to go and seeing our work in RHA or I had a piece in the National Gallery of Ireland. and So that's cool. Because like, in time, it'll be all integrated. we all intertwined. And we won't think, oh, there was a separation there. The lines are blurred. And what struck me when I met the artists is that they don't fit into the cliched image of what you imagine a street artist to be. The people I met were considered politically engaged, serious artists. Street art is edgy, but the forms of street art are incredibly varied. And it is that complexity that is interesting. Look at the work of James Early. His work is political while being abstract, edgy but aesthetically pleasing. His work references both graffiti and the tradition of stained glass. I'm less literal about uh, the messages within my work. Uh, The artwork's predominantly abstract, the work that I create now and... Definitely, even when I was creating more literal artworks in the past, uh, I remember I did like an animal series years and years ago and the works were made up of shards of stained glass and that was embodying my family's background uh, within stained glass, um, as well as celebrating uh, Irish 
natural heritage. It was a commentary on uh, Ireland's past and the politics within Ireland. Uh, and that, that was, you know, those kind of things where I was thinking about it a, a long time ago. Like, I'm not, you know, eco-warrior type either. And uh, I'm proud to be Irish, you know, and I'm aware of the environment, but not in a wildly go, gung-ho uh, manner. I'm considerate and um, as most people should be. You know, your work is very considered. Actually, it's a good work in that it has that amazing, to me, amazing mix of a real nod to the traditional and the craft, and yet that amazing dynamics of the contemporary work that you do. There's just that really interesting mix. Cheers. So I think uh, it's amazing. And I presume your history, your family history, is yeah, kind of part of that like foundation for you. Yeah, the background, obviously, I'm, I'm extremely proud of my family's background. And uh, it skipped a generation, it skipped my dad's generation. The family business closed in the 70s, and of, uh, which was an awful shame. It was, it was running for over 100 years on Camden Street. And they were very much one of the prominent stained glass studios. There was obviously Harry Clark's studios, but then there was Early's. I guess like there are very strong parallels with, with stained glass and uh, doing what I'm doing now. You have a medium that was created that was completely accessible to the general public to have a narrative. Uh, the public could enjoy it on an aesthetic level or they could have a deeper understanding and meaning to it of looking at the various different, I guess, um, hidden stories within the stained glass works. And the same can be said about the, the street art that I make, uh, the public art, the large-scale murals that I make, um, they're abstract and there's lots of different uh, ways you can interpret the work and on a purely wow that's amazing I love the colours or there's bits of art history woven into them there's bits of all kinds of different things every single artwork that I make especially mural wise I, I usually try and make it site specific so if I'm invited to go and paint in a city somewhere when I leave my mark, it stays there and I go back home. It's the general public from that space that that have to live with the artwork then. So I think it's something that uh, artists should be mindful of, uh, especially if you're creating something that is taking up the whole entire gable end of a building. It should in some way be considerate to the people that live in that environment because you, you are altering the landscape in a very, very, very strong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a funny thing that happens now. Like, I should be on the side of, uh, you know, you see some mural murals being removed around the city and people are, like, up in arms about it. <clears throat> and I get it, but they're, they need to understand why. They need to investigate a little bit more. Why is it? And, and I understand from being, working in a public space, and that it is a shared space, that people have the right to have an opinion if they want a piece of work in their estate or whatever it is like it's a shared space you know because we like these artists care for the community and the environments in which they work they want to contribute to the city they choose to paint in the city streets knowing that the work is not there forever and this fleeting nature appeals there's a loveliness to that that transition that they don't stay yeah yeah and people often say oh does that not bother you but it's the street and once it's out there it's once you get a good picture then you have it forever. But yeah, it's like you don't own the walls. You know, 
if if it's say like a legal wall space that everybody paints on like it could it could last a week it could last a day depending you know but i like that you know there's not many spaces you have to share them because i think that everything in the street has pretty much its own life so it has its own uh time limit so if i put work in in the street if i put work in the in the open i don't want it to be or expect it to be tra- treated any more differently than anything else people are going to add to it that's the nature of creativity in the city you may not like it but if you want your work to be preserved for all time stick it in a museum i don't want my work in a museum so the street will do nicely thank you very much nicely as a revolving gallery for street art at the start i mentioned the ongoing issue of planning permission and street art the problem that arises from this one of which all the stakeholders are aware of, is if the spaces are limiting the city for street artists to legitimately paint, how do you encourage the next generation of street artists? As the general public are becoming more aware of um, street art around the city and um, appreciating it a lot more, um, we're actually losing the ability to, to have a proper street art scene in Dublin. There are different kinds of artists working. There are highly skilled practitioners that come in to make extraordinary works of art. And then you have a lot of people who are re-engaging in a part-time fun way in doing this, who probably need a wall that can be painted many times. And finding these legal walls where uh, young people can express themselves in this really positive way uh, in the city, we're finding that difficult. Um, we did have one in the George Bernard Shaw. Uh, we've had a few around the city and we have a couple lined up at the moment. The city is highly developed now. There are very few empty spaces anymore. It's been finding it difficult to find spaces. I think this is something that I feel like Ireland needs because I feel that now is like more generations coming up that they're young, they're full of energy and they want to explore this creativity, but there is just not a space. And they've been pushed as we, we did to go into these places that they are not safe, you know, in order to just like try to be better. Legal spots that they are not hiding. And it's like, yeah, because then it's, it's an open culture, it's an exchange. The women artists I talk to are all part of the Manaw Collective, a collective of women artists. When they started out, they were painting in unsafe areas, as Kin Mix describes. Though established artists now, they still struggle to find places to paint. I asked Emmeline what she was currently working on. So it's um, a small boy spray, spray painting, um, and he's spray painting a house around him. So I've only done it really small on canvas, so I... I'm just finished making the stencils to do a life-size one now. So I'll be painting it somewhere in the city centre. Um, I have a few other pieces that I have designed um, that I want to paint over the next few weeks, but um, I just need to source walls, really. That's, that's my main issue at the moment, is finding walls that I can paint my pieces on. I, like, I, have, I have a list of pieces that I want to paint, and... It's just trying to find walls. (laughs) I'm going to leave you with the story of one of Will St. Ledger's pieces that uses the public and transient nature of street art to bring home a message. 
The piece was called The Bank of Secrets. Will opened the bank in 2016 for one day and asked people to write a secret on paper and deposit it in the bank. With The Bank of Secrets, the idea was that it was the unburdening of secrets and grudges and uh, and regrets and guilt and anything that you want to put down on paper. I, I went on to radio actually and shared some secrets myself, quite personal stuff, relationships I had with my strange father, his death, um, and the regrets that I had about us not reconciling before he died. The secrets deposited in the bank were never to be read, not by anyone. Because a lot of the things they were writing down, they'd never, ever said to another person, and they never will, but they were able to put it to rest in this, on this piece of paper. So after taking all the secrets from different people, I burned them all, ground down the ashes, and mixed them into a water-based paint. And then on the Project Art Centre, which is a big blue building in Temple Bar, I wrote in white paint, troubles fade out in the open. And that paint was made of a water-based paint. So as it rained, it, it started to wash the, it away. It kind of felt that, it, that nature needed to take over, that the work had been done. Their secrets, their regrets had transformed. They had they had now taken on a new life itself and they were now part of a message that said to people that shovels or secrets are better when they're out in the open that shame and shame exists where there's where there's great silence art rage is a curious broadcast production funded by the broadcasting authority of ireland with the television license fee produced and narrated by patricia baker Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Context Studio. Original music score by Jerry Horn.